I got a woo-hoo for that, right? Exciting times, exciting times. Uh, when I first saw that rendition too, I just was kind of like, I was like Pastor Randy, we can do that? Just I'm so excited about what God has planned for us. So excited to be here today and uh, bringing this message on the Sunday before Christmas. And uh, let me start by saying this. One of the things that I absolutely love about God's word you know, there's many, many things, but this extraordinary book, the Bible, this written revelation to humanity, one of the things I love is how it offers us the best diagnosis for our human condition. You know, this book, it lays out for us just how it is we've been designed to live and function, and then it also lays out for us what's gone wrong. And uh, one of the most fascinating things, uh, I think, in the scriptures are from Proverbs 19, when it says, what a person desires is un." failing love. Now, I think that explains a lot. That really speaks volumes to our human condition. You see, that's not talking about like romantic love. That's talking about a much deeper kind of love, a greater kind of love. We're talking about unfailing love, fa love that will never fail. We're talking about a safe love. And I think as human beings, we all know we're just always looking for safe people, aren't we? We just long to find people with whom we can be our absolute truest self with. You know, people who see every part of us, they see the good, the bad, and the ugly, but we have this assurance, this absolute assurance that they will always love us, they'll never reject us, they'll never leave us, they still believe the best of us, and they are for us. Isn't that what we all long for? I think consciously or unconsciously, we are seeking unfailing love, safe people. But you and I also know this, that the longer we live and the more hurts that we experience, right, we come to realize that even with those who love us the most, the truth is we just can't make ourselves completely known to the degree and the depth that we long for. I mean, completely and utterly safe, without fail, 100% of the time, it's just not possible. And that's because even the absolute best experience of human love that, that we can have on this earth, in this life, it will fail in some way at some point. There will be a point of failure. Now, we can recover from those failure points, but there will be a point of failure. All human love has moments of failure. That's why we can experience the best human love that's absolutely possible, but we still not possess something sufficient to fill this empty space in our souls, this longing we have for unfailing love, a love that never, ever fails. One of the very early church fathers, uh, St. Fathers, Augustine, he said this. He said that there is a God-shaped vacuum in every man that only, only Christ can fill. You see, what if the truth is, is that we were never meant to find that level of fulfillment and connection <clears throat> in another created being who's finite like we are? You know, but it was only meant to be with our infinite creator, the one who has the capacity for such an intensely personal and intimate connection and interaction with us. 
Today and then the Sunday following Christmas on December 31st, we're going to talk about this desire that we all have for this unfailing love. And because we have this desire, there's something that we also desperately need. And I'm calling it this. We need some Godfidence. We need some Godfidence in this life. Now, that's not a word that I made up. I'm not pulling a Pastor Randy on you making up words. It's actually a word someone else made up, and I'm stealing it. And as someone from a group shared it years ago, but they used it in a different context. And the context that I want us to use it in is this, Godfidence. It's confidence in what God says is true about himself. You see, it's not enough to simply just believe in God. Just as important is what we believe about God. If we don't believe the right things about him and his character, what he says is true about himself, then we will never be able to experience this unfailing love that we long for. Godfidence will lead us to experience this unfailing love, but even more importantly, it'll allow us to, to do something that King David did, and it's this, to trust in his unfailing love, to trust in it. So we're going to talk about two things that, um, that God says are true about himself. And I, I would say that these are manifestations of his unfailing love that I believe are absolutely life-changing if you and I will believe them and embrace them as well. So these two things that God says are true of himself is that he is with me and he is for me. God is with me. God is for me. Do you believe that as you sit here today? Do you have utter confidence? Are you completely convinced that God is with you? Are you completely convinced that God is for you? To what degree do you possess Godfidence? Today we're going to unpack just the first part of God's unfailing love, that God is with me, and then on December 31st, we're going to look about how God is for me. So let's unpack this concept that God says, what's true about him is that I am with you. And let's start here. Let's start with God's plan for humanity, that we can have this understanding. You see, another thing I love about the Bible is how it explains what God is up to. You know, it, it, it takes what seems to be mysterious, rather unknowable, and it allows us to just see and understand the big picture of what God is up to, his plans and his purposes. And we see God's original plan for humanity in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. You see, of the first human beings, when he first created humanity, Adam and Eve, listen to what we learn. It says, they heard the voice of the Lord their God who was walking around in the garden during the cooler part of the day. Normal day-to-day -day life for Adam and Eve, the first humans, was in the presence of God, their creator. He was with them in the garden. They could see him with their eyes. They could hear his voice and hear him walking through the garden with their ears. His presence, it was up close. It was personal. It was face-to-face. Normal day-to-day -day life for the first human beings was with their God in his presence. Their lives completely intertwined with God's life, with him, every aspect of it. Now, we know that 
something happened to interrupt that because that's not what we experience in terms of God now in our relationship with him, right? But that's going to change one day. The very last book of the Bible, Revelation, it tells us God's plan for humanity in the future. <clears throat> Let me get a drink of water before I read that to you, okay? So after the return of Christ, his second coming, that Pastor Randy talks a lot about, there's going to come a day when this will be true. God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And I love this part. They shall what? See his face. You see, what was lost in the garden, it's going to be restored. We will one day return to a normal existence of living in the presence of our God, up close, personal, intimately connected, just like Adam and Eve once did. But that's a promise for the future. So we got to ask, what happened? What happened between God's original plan that is laid out for us in Genesis to God's restored plan in Revelation? What happened? With well, a short and simple answer is this, that lies and slander just ripped a gaping hole in the intimate connection between God and humanity. Ripped a hole. You see, another created being, Lucifer, he said things about God that were not true. He slandered God's character. Can you really trust him? You can't. And as we said in the beginning, what we believe about God, it really matters. It is really, really important. So instead of holding on to what they knew to be the, true, the truth about God by their own experience with him, instead of holding on to that, Adam and Eve believed lies fed to them by someone who had already rejected God. They did the one thing that God told them not to do for their own protection. He says, don't eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil because when you do, you will surely die. In other words, it will sever our intimate connection. An intimate relationship is founded on and it's held together by trust. We, we cannot have intimacy without trust. It's just impossible. So once Adam and Eve believed the lies about God and they chose to eat from the tree, trust was broken. Intimacy was broken. And then look at these devastating consequences. Suddenly, the man and his wife heard, uh, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. They hid themselves from his presence among the trees of the garden. Adam says, I heard you walking in the garden. So what? I hid. Why? Because I was afraid. He had never, ever, they had never, ever been afraid in the presence of God before. What happened? Where did this fear come from? Think about it. Had God done anything whatsoever that would suddenly cause them to be afraid of them? Was it something on his part? Was there any action on his part that would make them want to run and hide from him? He did the same thing he had been doing on a regular basis, just came to the garden to be with them. God had done nothing to create this fear. It was Satan's lies about the creator. And it was Adam and Eve's choice to act on those lies. That was the cause of this sudden experience of fear in his presence. So from this point on, things had to change. You see, Adam and Eve, they would no longer be able to experience God's presence the way they had before, face to face. 
It had to shift. Was it out of punishment or was it out of loving kindness? Was it to hurt them or was it to help them? You see, when trust is broken, an all-powerful and an all-knowing being is terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Without trust, we do not feel safe in the presence of such a being. Our natural reaction and reflex is just to want to run and hide. He's big and he's scary. So could it be that out of love, out of love, God the creator backed away so that his presence would not intimidate them, it would not overwhelm them, it would not scare them. Perhaps he made the choice for his presence to no longer be visible to them until trust could be restored and humanity could once again feel completely safe in his presence. We're living in the time between Genesis and Revelation where God the creator, he is now seeking to restore trust and restore humanity to a, convi- to a condition of safe in his presence, feeling safe in his presence once again, where we feel completely safe in an up-close, a very personal and intimate, a face-to-face relationship with him with absolutely no fear that makes us want to run and hide, no reflex in us that makes us want to run and hide, none whatsoever. So we're living at a time when God's presence, it's no longer visible, but it doesn't mean he's not present. You see, it's just that his presence is invisible. His presence is invisible for now. Sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? But it's not. I mean, just just think about this. One of the most crucial things to our very survival in life is something we cannot see, oxygen, right? It is a powerful, invisible presence in our lives. So even though we're not face-to-face with God, God labors now between Genesis and Revelation to communicate, I'm still with you. I haven't gone anywhere. I know it seems like I have, but I haven't. I'm still here. Several decades ago, it was the year 1991, there was a song that came out. In that particular year, it won the Grammy for Song of the Year, and uh, it, it was called From a Distance. And, and it was just had this beautiful melody and, and this beautiful vocal. Bette Midler sang the song, but the song had a terrible message. As a young Christian at that point, it used to drive me crazy. I was like, that's awful. And I don't think that's what the writer intended, but just like Satan in the garden, it spread a lie about God the creator as over and over again, it repeated this lyric. God is watching us from a distance. God is watching us from a distance. So the message it gave, in other words, is he's not present and with us. He's far away. He's emotionally detached. The most interaction he has is simply kind of up there, feet kicked back, watching what's going on down here, like a good Netflix show, you know? And just as it was in the garden, there's a lot of disinformation about God being fed to us. And what we believe about God, it really matters. So between Genesis and Revelation, our God, he labors. He labors to assure us that he's not merely watching us 
from a distance. He is right here with us. To his people in the Old Testament, the Israelites, he would often, oftentimes communicate this message to them. He said, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Another place in Isaiah says, when you go through deep waters, when you go through rivers of difficulty, when you walk through the fire of oppression, don't be afraid. Why? I am with you. Over and over again, he repeats this message throughout the Old Testament scriptures. I am with you. Even though your circumstances may cause you to feel scared and alone, it doesn't mean that I've abandoned you. I am still here. Even though my presence is invisible, I am with you. Over and over again, God labored to reassure his people, the Israelites, of this truth about himself. And he still labors to this day to reassure his people in the New Testament, the church, of this same truth. He is with us. Our circumstances... The troubles we face, the the struggles we endure, they are not some indication that God has abandoned us, that he's left us alone in our pain and our confusion and our sorrow. He's just watching from a distance, emotionally detached, just the opposite. These are the times he wants us to know and trust what is true about him. When you go through the waters the deep waters, when you go through the rivers of difficulty, when, you, when you're walking through the fire, you don't need to be afraid because I am with you. I wonder today, you're sitting here and who out there feels like, man, I'm in some deep waters. I feel like I'm drowning. I'm going through those rivers of difficulty. Man, I'm struggling, struggling just to keep above, keep my head above water. Or you feel like you're going through the fire, just getting burned. Can you trust in his unfailing love this morning and believe that your God has not abandoned you? You won't drown. You won't get burned up because he is with you. Do you possess that kind of confidence this morning? Confidence in what God says is true about himself not what it looks like not what it feels like while God assured his people in the Old Testament that he was still with them even though they couldn't see him he also made this incredible promise for a time when he would once again make his presence clearly known to humanity the Old Testament prophet Isaiah once again he said this he said the Lord himself will give you the sign look The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This prophecy and this promise was given some 700 years prior to this event in human history that we now celebrate as Christmas, the birth of Jesus, Emmanuel. God is with us. So there might be somebody thinking, whoa, wait, what? Isaiah is saying that the baby Jesus was actually God himself? That's exactly what Isaiah is saying. The baby who arrived on our planet some 2,000 years ago was none other than God, the creator of the universe, the creator of you 
in me, the one who coded DNA into our physiology, the one who created our brains and all of our respiratory systems, the, the creator who put the uh, planets in orbit. In his letter to the Colossians, the apostle Paul said this about Jesus. He says, God was pleased to have all of himself live in Christ. All of God lives in Christ's body. God is in Christ fully, all of him. And then God, John's gospel, a close companion of Jesus, one of his closest disciples, he opens his gospel with this. He says, in the beginning, the word already existed. Word is capitalized. It's referring to a person. So as we go down, we'll discover who this is. The word was with God, and the word was God. God created everything through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. So the word is the creator. The word did what? Became human and made his home among us. He was full of what? Unfailing love. The scriptures tell us clearly that the same Jesus who lived on this planet as a human being, he was and he is God, our creator. Now that alone is just like mind-blowing, you know, that our creator would come and become one of us. But even more mind-blowing is the fact that, that he came as a baby, you know, he came as a baby. He chose to enter his own creation the same way that every other human being comes into the world. Nine months in his mother's womb. Why? Why become one of us and, and why come as a baby? No doubt, those are some deep theological questions, right? And I know they've got some deep theological answers. Theologians can, can write and talk for long periods of time on that. But something I've learned from Pastor Randy is that we don't always need the deep theological answer our questions sometimes simple is actually sufficient and uh, so I'm going for simple here because that's all I'm capable of okay so let's let's try to unpack this in a simple kind of way and so let's consider this the significance of his witness let's start here the significance of his witness in this event in human history when God came once again to be with us and make his presence known in a very up-close face-to-face kind of way. And I'm going to start this by, by taking us to uh, Wikipedia, okay? Wikipedia, important stuff right here. A lot of disinformation, I'll just say. Okay, so if you Google Wikipedia and you, or you go what it says about Christianity, how it describes Christianity, it says this. Christianity is a monotheistic religion based on life and teachings of Jesus Christ who serves as the focal point of the religion, so basically, it's kind of saying, well, just like any of the other many religions. You see, Joseph Smith, he founded Mormonism, and then there was Muhammad, and who had some dreams, and he founded Islam. So, so just like that, Wikipedia thinks that, well, Jesus is just the founder, the starter of this religion called Christianity, and it's a religion that's based on his, just on his life and his teachings. It doesn't even say anything about his crucifixion and his resurrection, it's all about just finding out the rules you must follow and the rituals you must practice because that's what religion does, right? God is watching us from a distance, so, so you better follow the rules and you better do the rituals because he's keeping score. More 
disinformation about our God. And as we've said, what we believe about God really, really matters. God is not looking for religious activity from us. God is desiring to restore a relationship that was lost in the garden, a relationship that's built on trust that allows us to feel completely safe in his presence. That's why we find things like this, God saying things like this through the prophet Hosea. He said, I don't want your sacrifices. I want your love. I don't want your offerings. I want you to know me. God, our creator, wants to be known. He wants to be loved just like we do. But I guess that's no surprise since we're made in his image, right? His desire is for a relationship with his created beings, not religious activity from them. But what God desires isn't easy to accomplish because as we've said, since trust has been broken, we're afraid to be in the presence of such an all-powerful and all-knowing being. So what is God to do? He shows up on the planet as one of us in human form. And he doesn't show up like as a rich, royal, you know, big wealthy king. Instead, he comes to this humble peasant family. He sets aside his divinity and much of his power so that we could just see his heart. See his heart. Understanding who he truly is and what it is that he's really like. Because what we believe about him really, really matters. And what a better way to demonstrate just how safe he is than to enter his creation as a tiny, vulnerable baby. To further demonstrate just how safe he is, he'll allow himself to hang on a cross. An innocent man suffering a criminal's death, never once using his power to fight back or to save himself, dying a sacrificial death in order to save us, to reveal his heart and the depth of his unfailing love. In the book of Romans, Paul explains just how he did that. God demonstrates his own love, his unfailing love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. You see, in the midst of our distrust of him, right in the middle of our distrust, while running and hiding from him, Christ died for us. He died to show us that we have absolutely no reason to be afraid of him. He will never, ever use his power to control us. He is humble and as gentle as a baby. His birth, his life, and his ministry culminating in his sacrificial death have forever proved, proves our creator's unfailing love for us. Proves that, that we are always safe in his presence making the way for us to return to him with an everlasting and unshakable trust. Jesus, our creator, he didn't come to start a new religion. He came to restore a broken relationship with humanity. He came to restore his relationship with me, and he came to restore his relationship with you. And he's reminding each one of us here again this Christmas season, you don't have to run and hide from me. You are safe. You are safe in my presence. I love you with the unfailing love that your soul longs for. You can trust me. You can trust me. 
once you and I make that, that most important decision that we will ever make in our life to return to our creator and trust, then we're able to experience the blessings of his witness, you know, the blessings of his invisible presence, and there are many of them. I mean, think about this. You know, Christmas time, there's a lot of people that experience it's a lonely time for them. And loneliness is an interesting thing because loneliness can be the result of actually being alone, but loneliness can also be the result of just feeling alone. You know, we can be surrounded by people, even people who love us, and we still kind of feel a little bit alone. And it's because we feel like no one really knows us or, or they don't really understand us, or, or they don't really deeply care about us and our lives. It's kind of surfacy, you know. But one of the most wonderful blessings of God's witness, his invisible presence, is that we don't ever have to experience feelings of loneliness another day of our lives. Never again. Look at Psalm, what it says. The psalmist he says, Lord, you look deep inside me, and you know all about me, and you understand. You understand what I'm thinking about. You know so much about me. It is wonderful. You see, we are known by our God deeply and intimately. We don't have to struggle to be understood. He sees it all. He knows it all. He understands us better than we understand ourselves. He gets us. He gets us. And with that, he cares deeply. First Peter, it says, give all your worries and cares to God. Why? For he cares about you. He truly, authentically cares about you and your life personally. He cares about your worries. He cares about your fears. He cares about your struggles. He cares about your pain. He cares about your hurts. He cares about your dreams. He cares about you personally, intimately. Listen to how King David, the man who trusted in God's unfailing love, how he described how much God cares. This is so beautiful, one of my favorite portions of Scripture. He says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all of my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. God cares deeply about our sorrows. He's not emotionally attached, watching from a distance. He is intimately aware of your personal hurt and pain. And your creator, he has been keeping track of all of your tears, all the tears you've cried your entire life. He's kept track of every single one of them because they matter to him. Your tears and your pain and your sorrows matter to him because you matter to him there's no person in this life that will ever know us that will ever understand us that will ever care to the depth that our creator does simply because they don't have the capacity for that so one of the biggest blessings of this withness is its ability to combat our loneliness Look at some more blessings that come, and we'll just kind of roll through these kind of quickly. But man, so many blessings with his witness. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us when in our troubles. 
his presence, his invisible presence, it comforts us whenever we need it. In Philippians, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. Then, then, when we give him our worries, you will experience God's peace, a peace that exceeds anything that you and I can understand. His invisible presence, it offers us peace in the most difficult and tragic times we face in this life. And it's a peace that we just can't understand. I mean, we're, we're going, you know, through the deep waters and the fires, and somehow there's a peace we have through it all, a peace found only in his presence. And then in Joshua, <clears throat> be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Even when walking through the dark valley of death, I won't be afraid, for you are close beside me, guarding, guiding me all the way. His invisible presence gives us strength. It gives us courage for all those struggles, for all those hardships, and for all the care, scary stuff that we have to go through. We can be strong. We can have courage through it all. And finally, he says this in Psalm, you make the path of life known to me complete joy is in your presence, complete joy. You see, when we trust in his unfailing love, his invisible presence, it guides us through our life. It lays out the path for us to follow in our life, and we will experience joy in his presence as we follow the path that he's laid out for our lives. Even though our God is not visible and face-to-face -face with us right now, he is still with us. And his witness gives us comfort, it gives us peace, it gives us strength, it gives us courage, it gives us guidance, and it gives us joy. Everything we need to navigate our way through this life until that day when we are able to once again be face to face with our creator. But how do we do it? I mean, since his presence is invisible, how do we actually experience his Withness. Well, look at what James, the half-brother of Jesus, says about this. Many people say, what do you mean the half-brother of Jesus? Well, Mary and Joseph went on to have other children after the birth of Jesus, so he would be the half-brother of Jesus. So there's a little tip for you, a little explanation there, in case you ever wondered that. But listen to what he says. He says, come close to God, and God will come close to you. It all begins with you and I making the first move, you see. Once we come close to God, then he will come close to us. We draw near to him, he will draw near to us. Well, why? Why does God wait for us to make the first move, you know, toward him? That's what we've already said. Because he knows that we're scared of an all-powerful, all-knowing being. Our reflex is to want to run and hide, to demonstrate just how safe he is, he lovingly and humbly waits for us, me and you, to make the first move. You see, never will he force or impose himself on anyone. It's always, always our choice. But as soon as we move toward him, man, he's like the father of the prodigal son. He comes running to us. He comes running to meet us immediately. He's there. So how is it then that we come close to God? Psalm 145 says this, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He's near when we call on him. 
Trust in him at all times. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. He is our safe place. He's our safe one. So talking about prayer. Prayer is the most significant and powerful way that we come close to God and experience his witness. You know, just talking to him, calling on him, pouring out our hearts to him, seeking help from him. Every time we pray, we simply acknowledge his presence and talk to him, then we are demonstrating our trust in his unfailing love. Because what we are doing is we are saying, like, even though I can't see you, I know, I know you're not just up there watching from a distance. I know you are here. That's why I'm talking to you. You are here. You are with me. You can hear me. You know me, and you care. I'm exercising my confidence. My confidence. What you say is true about yourself. So prayer is one of the most powerful expressions of our confidence in His witness. Here's another way to experience God's witness. I love this, his invisible presence. These are Jesus' words in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, for where two or three are gathered as my followers, I am there among them. When we gather together anytime as those who trust in God's unfailing love, whether it be here on our Sunday morning experience or all of our different ministries, young adults and youth and children's ministry and women's events and groups and so forth, he promises, where there's two or three or more, I am here among you. I'm with you. And it's a different kind of experience than that of our personal prayer time. It's so hard, I think, to put into words. But many of us, we know it, it, exactly what I'm talking about. We come together, and, and there's this energy that we don't quite understand, but we, we feel it. There's an enthusiasm, and there's a joy, and there's a warmth, and there's an affection, and there's a connection. What we sense, we're not just a crowd of people gathering in a room on a Sunday morning to sing some songs and hear a message. No, there is something far greater, much bigger. We can sense it. We're experiencing it. And what it is is it's the invisible presence of our God that is undeniable, undeniable. So we experience his witness through prayer. We experience his uh, witness through people. And then we most definitely encounter it in his word. Second Timothy says that all scripture is God-breathed. And Hebrews says God's word is living and it's active. I think one of the most amazing things about the Bible is that it's not just words on a page, print on a page. These words have life. They have life. They are life. One of the most moving things that I've ever heard is a part of Pastor Randy's testimony. When he tells the story of how he came to know and trust in Christ, he tells about this period of time where he just got alone for an extended period. I think he said it was like a week long or something. He just locked himself away, and he just started reading the Bible and just consuming it and consuming it. He was going through the Gospel of John, and he says something along these lines. He says, I knew that as I was reading this book, I was being read. As I read this book, I was being read. I was encountering a someone through the words on these pages. And folks, that's God's intention for all of us. 
that we don't just come to the Bible to read some words on pages for information and for knowledge, but that we would find him there, his invisible presence, that we would meet with him there, hear his voice, understand his heart and his mind, the way he thinks and the way he feels. We experience his witness when we go to his word and we don't just read it, but we seek to engage with the one whose breath the words landed on the page from, those God-breathed words that we seek to meet with him, engage with him, and we seek to fellowship with the word, the word who became human and made made his home among us, the one who's full of unfailing love. As we land the plane here, I want us to just think about two questions, but they're not questions for you. They were questions for me because Pastor Randy taught me something and and mentoring me and uh, giving messages and how to communicate. He said, one of the things you got to be able to do when all is said and done is you got to be able to answer two questions. What do you want them to know? What do you want them to do? He said, if you can't answer those two questions, then anything you've said doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? So always think about that. When I think about the first, what do I want you to know as we leave here today? I want you to know that you are absolutely safe in God's presence. How I want you to know that. I want you to know you can have Godfidence. That if you trust in him and his unfailing love, then he is with you always. And he always and forever will be. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what things look like now, no matter how dark it is, how difficult it is, he is with you. That's what I want you to know when you leave here today. What I want you to do, I want you to pray, read your Bible, and go to church. Isn't that what we say all the time? You hear that as a Christian all the time. Okay, I'm supposed to pray, read my Bible, and go to church. It's the basics, but it's the foundation. It's the foundation of our trust and his unfailing love. So I want you to pray. I want you to engage with God in his word and come to church, but don't do them as religious and ritualistic activities as though they are the goal in and of themselves and you can just tick off a box. No, do them as the means to experience the witness of our God, his invisible presence that will comfort you, that will guide you, that will give you much-needed strength, courage, peace, and joy in this life until his plan comes full circle and we once again enjoy his intimate presence face-to-face. May we all just leave here today with absolute Godfidence In the very last words that Jesus spoke to his followers before he left planet Earth, after his crucifixion and resurrection, just before ascending into heaven, his last words, I am with you always to the very end of this age. I am with you always. So until he returns, may our confidence be in these words every day of our lives. Church, will you, can we stand together? Jesus had said, it was his words, where two or three are gathered as my followers, I'm among them. I'm right there. And I think for yet another Sunday, we sense it, don't we? we, we, we we're experiencing it. We, 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 we can't quite understand it, but we know 
He is present. He is present. So what I hope is that we only got a couple minutes left here together. Can we savor this moment? Can we linger here in this moment and soak in his presence? Let's not be so quick to rush out the door to to beat everyone out the parking lot. But take advantage of the most important thing. This is an experience with his presence that we don't get the rest of the week. It's different. It's unique. Linger here and let this moment strengthen our confidence as we sing this closing song together. Thank you.